0: Uh, Okay, so the Genwell Project is a human connection movement. It was started in 2016, and our mission was to make the world a happier and healthier place by reminding people about the importance of face-to-face social connection, and more importantly, inspiring them to take action. Uh, Our original goal was to help people get connected and build healthy relationships before the next crisis, um, but looks like we're there. So now it's about supporting people through those crises by having conversations like the one that we're going to have with Louisa today and that's really what Connected Conversations is about is throughout this journey that we're all on with COVID-19 is providing people information, connections to people and conversations that will support them through the ups and downs that we're all going to face through the course of this journey and we'll get back to -to face-to-face connections uh, soon enough, Uh, well not as soon as we'd all like but um, you know soon enough And that's when we'll get back to our normal focus on really encouraging people to spend more time face-to-face. A huge thank you to all our volunteers who help us spread our message. We're doing an outreach to all the mayors across Canada right now encouraging uh, mayors to share our free open source information uh, and even content like what we're going to talk about today because i think this information is valuable to every canadian from coast to coast and hopefully we'll we'll continue to build a human connection movement which the world desperately needed before covid and may need uh, more of as we uh, as we move forward um today i'm excited oh and we also want to say thank you to Molson Coors and J.P. Weisers, who are our partners, who help sustain this movement and help us, uh, frankly, pay some bills and, more importantly, spread the message about the need for greater human connection in our lives uh, because it's something we all need to hear more about. So today, uh, Louisa Jewell, it is an absolute pleasure and I want to give you a proper introduction because it is a beauty. Uh, Louisa Jewell is a well-being expert, speaker and author who has taught over 100,000 people around the world about the science of resilience and human flourishing. Louisa has been featured extensively in the media including Forbes, Oprah, Oprah Mag, Fast Company, Live Live Happy magazine and CHCH-TV and regularly appears on CBC radio across Canada as a well-being expert. Louisa is a featured expert in the documentary of the science of happiness And her best-selling book, Wire Your Brain for Confidence, The Science of Conquering Self-Doubt, was named in one of the top 100 best psychology books of all time by the book authority. (laughs) Louisa is the founder and president of the Canadian Positive uh, Psychology Association, uh, was a professor at the University of Texas and holds a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. And all I can say, Louise, is I'm humbled that you're actually spending time with us today because <laughs> uh, that's quite the intro and a lot of credentials that uh, that back up everything you're gonna say to us today. So welcome to the GenWell Project and to our connected conversations.
1: Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's great to meet you.
0: Yeah, nice to meet you as well. We got connected to a, through a mutual friend, actually a neighbor of mine who, through our Genwell Weekends has become a, a good friend, uh, MA, up the street. And uh, this is what our movement is all about, is you know giving people the catalyst and the opportunity to get connected with people. Because up until just recently, we weren't doing much of it. And uh, now I think we're all recognizing uh, just how much, uh, how much we need it. So the thing I'd like to start out with, Louisa, with every one of our guests is to actually ask how are you doing? To your comment right off the top of the show, I think it's easy for us to just quickly dismiss, oh yeah, all good. But you know, we're all going through some challenges right now. So even somebody who is so, uh, you know, look at all those credentials you come with, it doesn't matter who we are, we're all gonna go through challenges. So I'd love to know how you're doing and and how you're coping with COVID-19 and the isolation and loneliness that we're all dealing with.
1: Well, as I said, you know, I'm feeling okay. I feel good. You know, I I feel like my background and my training has prepared me for things like this. So, you know, when I encounter challenges like this, I just kick in all the strategies that I know and I just kick those into gear. And I'm using this time to really learn more, to grow more, to connect with my, my MAP community. That's my Master of Applied Positive Psychology community. They're all kind of brilliant minds, and i love to learn more about what they're doing and, and how they're taking a lot of this information and applying it now. So it's been a really, really incredible time. Uh, I'm also doing a lot of different programs to reach out to my community to help people get through this time. So I guess I asked myself at the beginning of this, what can I do? Well, how can I use my strengths to make this easier for other people. And, and then I just decided to create a bunch of programs to do that. So that's been really great, too. And I think, you know, going, going just at the core of what you're doing, I think when you socially connect with your community, because a lot of the times I'm just connecting through email uh, and other types of media in social media. But when you actually connect with people face to face on a Zoom call, and you're listening to what their challenges are, and they're talking, and you're letting them talk, I think it's it's different. You get different information, and so it's been a real gift to be able to be able to do that. So I'm, you know, so I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I can't I can't say great. I don't wake up every morning and say great. I just say, yep, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing well things are, are okay.
0: Yeah, I think um, so many people have said to us, I have a little guy here, what do you need? Are you okay, buddy? Yeah, I have a little bathroom. Okay, you wanna give daddy a call when when you need me? Okay, <laughs> I might have to take a, uh, a, a childhood break here uh, at some point, but uh, I'll let you know. What I, what I love about your uh, perspective and what you've chosen to do is all about giving. And, and I, I know, Louisa, every answer that you give me today is going to be the answer that I'm wanting to hear. I think the world wants to hear because you're right, you have the strategies, the skills and the tools and the mindset to already put yourself in the right place. And I think that's the greatest thing we can all do is think of how can we serve uh, others in these challenging times. So it's beautiful that you got programs. I love the fact that you're set up with skills. And I love your comment, which is, Hey, nobody 's waking up right now saying, "Oh, I, this is the greatest thing that 's ever happened to me, but you know okay. there certainly are ways that we can all find to uh, find the silver lining in in what 's going on around us and I think that's that 's what you do, and that's uh, that 's what the skill set and tools that you teach people is, is all about. so can you tell us a little bit of your history and maybe the history of positive psychology? I know Martin Seligman is kind of, you know, one of the leaders and one of the maybe the initial uh, people who kind of got it going, but maybe speak to Canada holistically uh, and just tell us your role and what you do in regards to positive psychology and, and the journey you've been on here in Canada.
1: Sure. Well, for those who don't know what positive psychology is, it is the scientific study of psychological well-being and human flourishing. So rather than, you know, traditional psychology focuses in on what's wrong with us and how we can fix things like mental illness, which is good. We want that because we want people to be able to get help. We, We want to help people when they're not feeling well. Uh, But positive psychology is the scientific study of what makes us strong, what is right with us, what keeps us mentally healthy. And what we're finding now is that you want to, when you take a look at the whole human experience, we want to be able to take a look at both what's wrong and what's right in human beings to take a holistic approach to the person's psychological well-being. So positive psychology has kind of rounded out our study of our psychological experience as human beings. Um, What Martin Seligman did when he became the president of the American Psychological Association in 1998 is he called it positive psychology and he called for the study of what's right with us because he felt that there was too much of an emphasis on Mm -hmm. only what is wrong
0: And and I think I think that's yeah yeah, I'm gonna ask you a question and then I'm going to leave while you respond to it Which is (laughs) Now is it is positive psychology something that you know, we consider mental health or is it really about you know because we all have our health, mental and physical, and then we think of mental health and, you know, I know we don't think about all mental health in crisis, but where did positive psychology come in first? Was it about solving mental health issues or was it really about being more proactive and being more upfront and swimming upstream and keeping people happy and healthy and more positive in their day-to-day life? And I'll let you answer while I go take care of some father's duties.
1: All right. (laughs) well so positive psychology originally was about the study of what is right and what keeps us strong and what keeps us mentally healthy you know it's interesting because whenever you talk about mental health in canada often people think of mental illness right whenever i say to someone hey what about mental health in your organization they go oh no no we don't have mental health issues here they immediately go to this idea that something is wrong. When we think of mental health, we think of what is keeping us healthy. And a lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of things you can do to keep yourself psychologically healthy. And now what psychotherapists are doing is they're meshing the two and taking the whole person into consideration. So they're dealing with you know, people when they're thinking incorrectly, when they have cognitive distortions. But then they're adding in discussions of strengths, and we have different assessment tools that we use so that people can say, you know, besides the fact that maybe you're not thinking in healthy ways, and let's try and help you correct that, here's ways where you are thinking healthy. Here's strengths that you can leverage to get you through whatever it is you're getting through. It's really interesting because I was on a call the other day with Martin Seligman and the founder of Cognitive Therapy, Dr. Aaron Beck. So here are two icons in the world of psychology. And Marty invited, Marty's been friends with uh, with Dr. Back forever, decades. Um, and then he, he invited him to a call with a number of my alumni friends. And what Dr. Aaron Back said that was so incredible in the session is he said, the one thing that we missed with cognitive therapy is we did not take the whole person in view when we were thinking of how we would do this. And I thought that was really interesting. And he thought that positive psychology was a good way to round out therapy and to bring both the negatives and the positives into the therapy session, so I, I thought it was really interesting that the creator of cognitive therapy I think he 's like ninety eight now, believe it wow. or not he uh yeah, but it was a it was kind of one of those incredible moments in my life where I have both uh marty 's a good friend of mine, but um you know I'd never met Dr Beck before, and to have them both on a on the call was pretty. Wow. Pretty incredible. But but I I think uh, as well that, you know, if you go back into, um, you know, the history of it, you'll see that there was really just a focus on the negative and positive psychology just rounds out the research. That's all it's doing.
0: You know, it's it it ties in so beautifully to what we're trying to do with the Genwell Project, because we don't think of ourselves as a mental health campaign, we think of ourselves as a human connection movement. And I'm a big proponent of Maslow's hierarchy. And if I paraphrase Maslow, I kind of look at the bottom level. I just say mental and physical health, although there's lots of physiological needs and different things that go into that. And some of those needs are the greatest needs that people have, obviously, going through the crisis that we're in now. But when we think about love and belonging, I've always said, you know, we've never educated people on this because up until the early 2000s it just happened so people didn't need to be trained and didn't need to understand how important human connection is so here we are we're trying to swim upstream we're trying to say hey how can we help keep people healthy focus on the things that they can do and m- most importantly i love what you said you know focus on the positive Focus on the whole person and recognize that, hey, by staying connected, we can help you both mentally and physically uh, as you go through your journey, because we're all gonna go through ups and downs. And I think, you know, to hear the names that you connect with is, is inspiring. And to hear that we're still learning and we're still growing the idea of how we are treating people and how we are helping people. And I think going through this, uh, this crisis, and I'm curious your perspective, Louisa, what will we learn? You know, what, what more will we learn about the human condition as we go through isolation for an extended period of time? And it's not just isolation, it's cabin fever, there's work issues, there's financial issues. I, I think we're about to learn a lot about humans that we may not have been able to even test before because who could imagine and who would put somebody through this type of a test?
1: <laughs> well, so, I, you know, I want to go back to, if you think about what what the GenWell Project does and bring people together, when you think about the science of psychological well-being, social connectedness is the number one pillar. We have six pillars that we consider are important to building psychological health and well-being. Uh, one of them is leveraging positive emotions and having a perspective on the positive. Uh, and the second is engagement, being mindful in your life. The third is positive relationships. The fourth is having some sort of meaning and purpose in your life. The fifth is a feeling a sense of accomplishment, this idea of positive accomplishment. and And the sixth is the connection with our bodies. So we don't really think about mind-body connection because, The mind and the body are the same. I mean, they're so interconnected, you can't even separate them. But if you go back to this social connectedness piece, that is the most important pillar. I remember Chris Peterson, one of the founding fathers of positive psychology, um, he used to say this. He used to say, okay, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do my talk on happiness. He said, here's my talk. Other people matter thank you, good night, I'm done. (laughs) And, you know, he used to just say that is the, and in fact, that is one of our mantras in positive psychology, other people matter. And if you take a look at some of the science, you will see that when we are, for example, there's neuroscience that shows that if we're playing a game with other people and suddenly we are excluded, suddenly we are rejected, The same regions that register pain in our brain actually light up. So when we are rejected, when we are excluded, when we are bullied, it is painful for us. So that's how important. And if you think about it, how do we survive for thousands and thousands of years? You know, if I had to fight an elephant, guess what? Probably the elephant would win, right? But in tribes... We survived. And so that got higher, you know, hardwired into our brains to say, I need to be part of a tribe. And if I get kicked out, then I could die here, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so these things, these things are, you know, important to take into consideration that, you know, social connectedness is not just a nice-to-have it is hardwired in our brains. This is why loneliness is becoming a marker for um, early premature death, for example. You know, the United Kingdom has a, uh, a minister of loneliness. So, so it's things like that that we start to realize that all of these things psychologically affect our bodies physically, and that connection is really strong. So it, I think social connectedness is really, really important. And, uh, and, and I think we've, you know, we've learned a lot over the years with regards to that.
0: I think uh, we're getting deep into the COVID stuff, which is where I thought we'd get in the long run, but I'm loving where we're going here. And I think, uh, and we did have the opportunity, there's a campaign to end loneliness in the UK which is focused more on the seniors community. We had the opportunity to uh, uh, interview the executive director last week on a on a connected conversation. So uh, I believe the UK is far ahead of the rest of the world in recognizing loneliness as an issue. And, you know, the Genwell project I hope gets some opportunity to play a bigger role in helping all of us across all demographics understand how important uh, human connection is in our lives. But I think the question that I want to follow up with you on is, so we, we, over the last few decades, we created the most individualistic society in history where we got away from those tribes, where we got away from our community, where we had the ability to travel and fly around the world and be, and And not you know when we talk about tribes, you know oftentimes we reference cavemen we 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 reference the time when you know your the, the total distance that you would travel in your lifetime was less than a single airplane trip to you know europe and obviously we 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 were you know i'll use the word spoiled by the conveniences that we'd been given over the last uh few decades we obviously had we lived in the greatest growth era in the history of the world, and now it's being. You know, shut off. And so, A, tell me what happened to us over the last, and, and maybe these aren't answers you can give me, but i what happened to us af- over the last four decades? How did we lose touch with the need for greater connection and our tribe? And, and what do you think COVID's going to do to us in awakening us to just how important those communities are?
1: Well, you know, one of the biggest contributing factors that scientists have discovered is that we have lost a lot of what we call the empathy in human connection with the rise of the smartphone. So we've seen year after year, in fact, the, the latest study that I read, teenagers are 40% less empathetic than they were five years wow. ago. Now, that that has startling Consequences for us as human beings. Because if I am never learning how to be empathetic, then how can I even be your friend? You know, how can I connect with you in a way that is human? And we're starting to see, you know, for example, incivility in the workplace is on the rise. Is it because we're just not as empathetic as we used to be? Because our, you know, our faces are always in the phone. You know, uh, Louis C.K. does a great little video clip on that where he says, I don't want to give my kid a cell phone because, you know, if they text something to somebody, like a mean thing to somebody because they're mad and they text that thing and they say, oh, good, I feel good because I said a mean thing to that person and it feels yummy for them to do that. But if you were actually to say that per that." to somebody, to their face, and you would see their reaction, and you would see them cry, you know, then that teaches us, oh, geez, I just said something that hurt somebody. It's a much greater lesson that we learn. It gets etched into our brains about what is acceptable behavior and what is not. I'm not suggesting that everyone with a smartphone is not empathetic. Just saying, I think in general, uh, you know, we've seen populations that spend more time in their smartphone or interacting through a smartphone rather than face to face. Barbara Fredrickson has also found that when you look somebody in the eye, Uh, you actually have a physiolog. there's a physiological difference than if you're texting or even talking to somebody on the phone. So I think that technology has certainly hindered that. But there are ways that we can, knowing that, there are ways we can get around that to turn off our phones, to connect with people and look them in the eye. I mean, for me now, I do a lot of Zoom calls to make sure I'm still looking people in the eye. We did an appreciative inquiry recently with a good friend of mine, Michelle McQuaid, and she, we talked about this idea of social distancing and social connection. So just because we are distancing doesn't mean we can't reach out to our friends, doesn't mean we can't do Zoom calls, doesn't mean we can't pick up the phone and say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while, how are you doing, right? There's still ways to be socially connected, even if you're not in the same room.
0: Yeah, I I wrote an article, uh, post article, whatever you call them these days, uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was called Permission, Excuse, and Purpose. And to your point, I played Euchre last night with a friend of mine in Chile, one in Algonquin Park, one in downtown Toronto, and I was here in in my house. And I thought to myself, wow, how interesting is that? That I would never have considered that before, but I feel like we've all been given permission now to use digital technology, because if you valued a friendship, you wouldn't wouldn't think of connecting digitally, because you'd say, well, of course. You know, Louisa, you and I are going to get together for coffee or uh, a drink or whatever the case may be. I'll get that for you in a little bit. Okay, can you put that back for now? Sorry, Louisa. This is, this is the <laughs> world we're living in now, right? This is the world. Homeschooling. That's right. and so, um, but my, my article was, we've got the permission now to use digital technology. We now have the excuse to reach out to people we haven't reached out to in a long time because we have the opportunity to say, how are you doing? Because oftentimes I think we struggle, and that's what the Genwell movement was about—was giving people a catalyst a couple times a year where people would actually have a reason to say, "Hey, we should get together because this thing tells us that we're all part of a movement and we're getting connected." And finally, which I think you fully get, which is the purpose, which is now we need to understand and share with people that just by reaching out, you could change somebody's day through a conversation or whatever. And I think and i'll tell you i i had the opportunity to speak at a private school in toronto right after uh there was a college in toronto i'm sure you know who i'm speaking of but i don't want to use any names which is a college where there was a terrible incident with some young boys and i spoke at the college and and the message was i had no idea of that stat but you know that that that's such a powerful point that we are losing empathy for one another and i don't think it's just in young people i think It's in all of us. Yeah, But amazingly so, uh, Louise, I think in the last six weeks, it's turning and it's amazing what this has done. So I'd love to get your thought. What do you think, what has COVID-19 done? You know, there's the negative sides, which we should talk about, but I think there's a lot of positives for us as well coming out of this experience.
1: Well, I think everybody will have obviously a different take depending on their mindset. Uh, you know, to me, I've had, you know, I'm a speaker, so I speak to very large audiences. Well, that's disappeared. Yeah. You know, everybody has postponed all of my speaking engagements and nobody is creating conferences right now where people are speaking in front of live audiences. So that's been a real challenge. Uh, and, you know, for for that, um, you know, particular thing. And also my house was supposed to go on the market. Uh, in, in, in a matter of days and then, you know, COVID-19 hit and I had to shut it down. So, you know, I've had some real economic challenges through this entire situation. So I think you can either be devastated by that or you can say, what now? And so, you know, people often misinterpret Darwin's work to be distilled into this idea that it's survival of the, the fittest, right? Survival of the strongest. In fact, Darwin's work showed us that it is survival of the most adaptable. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in business, I think business is gonna take away from this, how flexible are we? How adaptable are we? How responsive are we when something happens here and shuts us down? How quickly, can we get back on track with our business? And that takes a mindset to be able to do that. So my mind quickly went to what now, you know, how can I shift, how can I pivot, how can I use a lot of the online stuff that I do and you know, shift my business? And I think that at the end of this, I'm gonna be stronger uh, in my business after, after all of this. But I think for other people who are looking at the gifts, you know, the gift of I get to spend all this time with my 19 year old teenager who, you know, teenagers don't want to hang out with their moms. <laughs> and, you know, so I get this gift of being able to spend this time. And I think years from now, we're going to look at this as a real bonding experience. And and luckily, we're getting along <laughs> as well. So that's also a, a blessing for us, I, I think you know i'm i'm i can't wait to go eat at a restaurant again my favorite restaurant in in toronto i think that will be exciting but we've been eating well here so you know i think just the immense gratitude can get you through you know something like this but i think i will be appreciative of uh i'm always very appreciative but i think i'll be even more appreciative some things that we're missing.
0: I love that. And so I want to give a plug to your favorite restaurant only because the restaurant industry is struggling right now. What's your, what's your favorite restaurant in Toronto?
1: Oh, uh, Taroni, Taroni on price street. So Taroni on price street has this fabulous rooftop terrace that I just adore. And I'm there many, you know, many, many times throughout the summer. I just love that terrace and hanging out with my girlfriends. And, you know, I, I, really have continued to hang out with my girlfriends, you know, throughout this whole thing, because I love being with my girlfriends. So I'm never out of touch with my girlfriends. We have several Zoom calls every single week, and we do different things together. So uh, I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, it's funny when you talk about spending time with your daughter, and I certainly have a a young lad, and uh, getting the time to spend with him. But I think the the And the original message of the Gen Well was really about re- increasing people's awareness of how important that was for their health, but how fortunate it is when we get that time and to make that time. I, I hope that as people go through this, that at some point, those who don't recognize the value of that time will become more conscious of it uh, through this journey. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. It's it's uh, it, it, you know because I certainly and I only have one so it makes it I think much more manageable than two three and I have a friend who's got four and uh, you know four different uh, four different computers four different iPads four different school curriculums like it is it, it is going to be a challenging time to to get you know you, we all want to appreciate it but uh, but it can be time ty- it can be challenging at times for sure.
1: Yeah. And, you know, for me, I always say that, you know, figure out what is important and forget the rest, you know, so the not all the homework is getting done or, you know, the housework. Like I I finally had to pull out the vacuum cleaner, you know, I (laughs) I was like, you know. It it doesn't matter if I'm not cleaning out that corner of the basement, you know, right now. You know, I'm just focusing in on what is important and what I can manage. And I'm just forgetting about the rest because uh, I'm not going to be at this really, really high standard when there's all this stress and anxiety that's going on with COVID-19. I think we have to keep it all in perspective that, you know, if stuff doesn't happen, be compassionate to your kids and be compassionate to yourself as a parent that, you know what, you just can't get everything done. It's just not, you know, it just might not be possible and it's okay. You know, be peaceful with that. You know, in 10 years, ask yourself, will this really matter 10 years from now, if Johnny didn't do that, you know, that math page that he was supposed to do or you know what I mean? Like he'll get to it, you know, he'll get to it.
0: I think um, I, Dr. Robert Waldinger, who I'm sure you know well from, uh, from Harvard, who is now doing a Tuesday afternoon kitchen table uh, conversation uh, on his first week of doing that about three weeks ago, he said, he said uh, we all just need to cut some slack because we're all struggling. Yeah. And if we could all exactly. appreciate each other and can understand that this isn't perfect for any of us, I think we'll, we'll all get through it, uh, including ourselves to your
1: point. Yeah. And I, I think that takes self-compassion. You know, you have to be able to say, look, as a mother, as a father, you know, as a parent, uh, or, you know, as a sibling, I am doing my best and that's all I can do. And if it's not perfect, it's okay. And it takes self-compassion to be able to do that and say those kind things to yourself. That doesn't mean that you are a slacker or that you don't care about your kids' education or their health or your health or, you know, you're not a a high achiever. You know, self-compassion. In fact, people who are high achievers also show themselves a lot of self-compassion. It goes hand in hand.
0: It's funny. I think that's probably toughest for those of us. And I... You know, I've been there, you know, who got caught up in the last few decades of more, you know, every day had to be more, more money, more status, more stuff, more toys, more. And now we're literally and I think this is probably the greatest challenge that people are having right now is we were in a whirlwind of world. It was go, go, go and go faster. And now we're being told stop and yeah. it's it 's going to be a challenge, so you almost gave uh, you know some some tips there, which I think were valuable about self compassion but if I asked you, Louisa, what are your you know three five tips for people that you know whether they are actually and I love this, so I was going to say if they 're struggling, what should they do but it 's like whether you 're struggling or not struggling, these are probably some of the tools and and strategies that you can implement so what would be your three to five that you might give to somebody who is going through the journey, let's just say?
1: Well, so I wanted to talk about this idea of loneliness because a lot of people are confusing loneliness with being alone. Mm -hmm. And they think, oh, my gosh, all these people are alone. They must be lonely. And that's not necessarily true because there are a lot of people who don't feel lonely at all being alone. And then there are lots of people who feel completely alone, even surrounded by 100 people. So that, so what is at the heart of loneliness is this idea of, do I belong? And if I feel that I belong, then it doesn't matter if I'm alone or with with anybody else. So one of my tips that I say to people is, if you're feeling lonely, remind yourself, where do you belong? You know, do you feel you belong with your family? I did this with a group the other day, and they said, I feel like I belong with my family. So think about your family. They love you. You belong there. They, if you were gone, they would miss you. You know, they would ask about you if you didn't show up, right? So remind yourself, where do I belong, and feel good with that. And if the answer is, I don't feel like I belong anywhere, then ask yourself, what can you do for somebody else? Because when you reach out to others and help others, you belong to them. You matter to them. You know, it matters that you show up, you know, for them to help them. So think about how you can help somebody else if you're feeling that you don't really belong. Now, another thing that is really important, another tip that is really important for keeping yourself in a, in a healthy state, and also, by the way, this improves your immunity to things like the flu, which it's actually been tested, is the keep yourself and continue to be in that state of positive emotions find joy because here's what here's what we know from the research it's not about being happy all the time we can't be happy all the time that's that's you know not even appropriate if your dog dies it's more appropriate for you to be sad and you know we don't want people to have the pressure to be happy all the time but what scientists know is that it's about a positivity ratio how many positive emotions during the day do you experience compared to the number of negative emotions during the day that you experience and scientists have discovered it's like three four five to one you know everybody's ratio is going to be different but what we do know is that we need many more positive emotions to every negative emotion to flourish We know from research that when people have really low ratios, like one-to-one, or they have more negative than positive, they're actually falling into a depression. So we can correlate that with depression. So in this day and age, when we are inundated with the negative, you almost have to prioritize positivity. You have to create situations in your day Where you are laughing, where you are, you know, this TikTok thing provides me, you know, so much enjoyment watching these people dancing and the dog tricks. And, you know, we and my daughter and I, we laugh and laugh and laugh and they're just hilarious. Or I'll listen to my favorite comedians or we'll watch funny movies so think about your day. Think about filling your day, having those laughter breaks, having those joyous breaks. Call a friend you haven't spoken to in a long time. Watch those inspirational things that make you, you know, cry a tear of joy um, through those things. Because that's really important to keep your ratio high. It doesn't mean that you can't be compassionate. You know, we, we can live we can live with the negative and the positive at the same time. They can coexist. But it it keeps your body in that good state and it keeps your mind in that good state. And they have done studies where they've swabbed people with the flu virus in their nose. And they found that people who experience frequent positive affect or positive emotions in fact, are less likely to contract the flu. Wow. So it's, it's yeah, it's really interesting. And it has a lot to do with our cellular structures. We do know that certain kinds of happiness actually change your cells. So it, it does make a difference from a biological level. I'm not suggesting that people just be happy all day and expect that you know they're gonna be immune from coronavirus, please, I am not saying that at all. Um, It's just one factor that may help boost your immunities uh, over, over time, over your lifetime. And I guess the third tip that I like to give people in this too is to focus on what you can control and don't worry about the rest. You know, so I focus on the fact that. I don't go outside. If I do go outside, I'm very, very careful. I do walk the dog, so I'm very, very careful to stay away from people. I wear masks quite a bit. I wash my hands 50 times a day. I I sterilize everything that comes into my home. I wash every piece of fruit and vegetable with soap and water. And you know, like I'm very, very careful. Um, And then the rest of it, I just have to let that go. You know, I just have to say, well, you know, if, if I get it by some freak of nature, you know, if I get it, I will deal with it then. I don't worry about something that hasn't happened yet, and that's completely out of my control if I'm doing everything I can. So, you know, I say that to people too. Just focus on what you can control and forget the rest.
0: Those are uh, three great pieces of advice, and certainly uh, Serena Candela, who just joined a second ago, who's a... Uh, a, uh, a leader in the creative arts community in Toronto and who's done one of our lives uh, really was uh, was aligned with your comments there and, and also pointed out that she doesn't wash all her fruits and vegetables. Oh. <laughs> it, it's good
1: you know that what, I'll it. tell you. Well, I'll tell you why. Because when I went to, to the store once, I saw people picking over the fruit mm-hmm. with their bare hands. And I thought, oh, wow, now I have to worry about Fruit, Because if somebody, you know, that's one way you can contract the virus. Somebody with the virus then touches a piece of fruit and then I touch it, you know, and they leave it and I touch it. Um, so it, that kind of freaked me out. So I thought, but here's the other thing. I wash all of the fruits and vegetables when they come in to relieve my own anxiety, so when I go in the fridge and I pick up a piece of fruit, I don't think about it because I think it's washed. So it's an anxiety-reducing thing. When I do that too, I tell my daughter, "Look, everything that's come into this house has been sterilized and washed, so you don't have to worry about a thing." So then her anxiety is reduced. You see, so it is an anxiety-redu. It it takes a heck of a long time. I tell you. Putting my groceries away takes like an hour and a half now, <laughs> so I will appreciate that when all that's done. But it is an anxiety-reducing thing that I just relax about everything that's in the house.
0: You know, I, I uh, we're going to share this whole video, uh, Louisa, because I think this is uh, hugely valuable information um, for people to hear. And And for me, it's always – I've always – the, the analogy, I ran out of gas once coming home on the 401 from, I went to the University of Western Ontario, which is now called Western University. And I ran out of gas and I thought to myself from that point forward in my life, like, if you just had taken two minutes to do, to go to the gas station and fill up, instead of having to get a tow truck, spend 14 times as much money to be stressed and anxious on, I was literally at the off ramp at Young Street so cars are blowing by there's people coming off the off-ramp and that was probably the greatest enlightenment for me it's like if you put the if you take the time to do the little things then you don't come up against the big things and that to me is what you just described there like if you just do the washing if you wash your hands if you take the little steps you know then you can actually live more comfortably day to day and i think it's such great advice at a time when (laughs) when and again, the the doing the focus on what you can control in a world where there's not a lot we're in control of right now. All we can control exactly. is what we are doing in our own day, in our own lives, with our own family. And so um, that's honestly very powerful. And we'll highlight that when we uh, we do our little follow up post. So as we wrap up here, because we're you know 47 minutes into it again, sorry for being a minute late getting started. Where can people find you? You know, what are the services you provide? Because I think right now, and as we go through this, Louisa, I think you are, I know you do a lot of speaking, uh, hopefully that can go online over time here, but I think a lot of people need to hear what you're saying right now. So what are your suggestions for people to get more of Louisa Jewell? Because I think what you're putting out there is, is mm-hmm. desperately needed in the world today.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, if you go to com and uh, follow my blog, I do do a weekly tip, especially now I'm giving out a weekly tip. It's a little video blog. I give a tip about, you know, how you can improve your resilience and your well-being. I'm louisajewel on Instagram. I'm louisajewel on uh, LinkedIn as well. So lots of different ways. I'm also um, at louisajewel on Twitter. So I, I do a lot of those things. My book, Wire Your Brain for Confidence, The Science of Conquering Self-Doubt, also is on Amazon. So, yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that people can connect. You can uh, sign up for my weekly juice. And, um, you know, I also am a big believer in, in squelching that, that critical you know, boys, if you happen to be somebody who's very critical in your head, you know, something bad happened quite a bit. I also have an online course for that too. I think that's really important. But I think that, I just wanna say that, I think it's beyond coronavirus. I think we can't put our health and our happiness on hold. You know, we can be doing things now, right? to enjoy our lives because if we always put our lives on hold for everything that happens to us whether it's coronavirus or cancer or a broken leg or you know what whatever it is then we're not going to be living life fully so it's about living now that's what is the important thing
0: well on that note louisa i don't think there's anything else to be said i think that's great advice great thoughts and uh Honestly, if you could live in my head 24 hours a day, I think I'd be a lucky uh, lucky guy. So um, thank, <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it is an absolute pleasure to meet you virtually. And I hope sometime soon uh, we get a chance to do it face to face. But I do have one last question. And that question is, what will you do? What's the first thing you're gonna do when you get the chance to leave your home comfortably and reach out and do something in the world. What do you think you're gonna do?
1: Oh, that's interesting. You know what? When all of this rises, I would love to travel. I would love to go to, you know, uh, I was supposed to go to Burning Man this year and that got canceled. I wish I could say I'd go to Burning Man, but uh, I think a few of us might go to Joshua Tree uh, instead. If that's a possibility, I will be traveling for sure, That's but true. who knows when that will be, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of us uh, talked to somebody this morning who was saying, geez, I hope I haven't missed the opportunity to travel the places I wanted to go. And I think, um, again, more enlightenment for all of us to live in the moment, to uh, take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves, because who knows what happens tomorrow. Right. So, um, exactly. Louisa, thank you so much for your time. I honestly, I feel like I could talk to you for hours And I'm sure lots of other people uh, can as well. So um, I'm going to follow you on all your platforms. I'll sign up for your newsletter. I need a little Louisa Jewel juice every week as well. And so uh, thanks again for your time today.
1: Thank you. Take care, Pete. All the best. Stay well.
0: Thank you. You as well. Bye for now.